I have had a great day uh, in the Word of God. My mom used to make sun tea. Anybody make sun tea? You put it out all, all day long. The sun just naturally brews it. I feel like I feel like that tea bag. I feel like I've been in the book of Ruth, specifically the third chapter of Ruth, all day, and I just feel like I've steeped in it all day. And so, as itching as, as Greg is to get up here and preach, Greg, I'm going to trump you. I, I, I've, I've got to preach tonight because it's in me, and I'm excited to do this. Um, in a culture where women found their worth largely in their husbands and in their ability to bear children, things in this situation right now with Ruth and Naomi, they looked about as bleak as they possibly could. For a widow who was past childbearing, and, and for this, her, her widowed pagan daughter-in-law, it didn't look like it was going anywhere, uh, any, anywhere hopeful at all. Their hope rested completely and totally in Ruth's ability to find a husband. But I would ask you this, where should she go to find a husband? Now we've seen Boaz already introduced into the story, but what if, what if Boaz isn't interested in, in following through with that? Where would a good, godly, recent convert go to find a husband? Would she go onto a dating site? Well, those didn't exist back then. Would she go to some nightclub or to a bar? Well, that wouldn't do. Would, would she take out an ad, a personal ad in, in the Bethlehem Gazette that, that perhaps might say something like this, single Moabite woman, widowed, childless with mother-in-law, seeks well-to-do Bethlehem businessman with view to marriage. Must love mother-in-law. I mean, how do, how do you think that would go over? I mean, the reality is it wouldn't go over very well at all. And so you look at their situation and you think, apart from Boaz, unless God does something here, this looks about as hopeless as it can get. What do we often do when God doesn't seem to be moving as fast as we would want Him to? You see, when, when we're up against the situation... We don't know how it's going to work out. We know what we'd like to see happen, but God doesn't seem to be doing what we'd, we'd like to see, and He's not doing it certainly fast enough. And what we're going to see tonight in this passage in the third chapter of Ruth is that there's some impatience that comes into play. Naomi becomes an example of not waiting on the Lord and trying to go ahead of Him and make something happen. Boaz, though, we're going to see, becomes this example of what it looks like to actually wait on the Lord, to submit yourself to the Lord no matter the cost. Let me just catch you up if you're here for the first night. We come to the book of Ruth, and, and it starts in this little town of Bethlehem of Judah. And there, there's a man by the name of Elimelech. Elimelech, and he's, they're living there with his family. And it's a time when people are doing whatever's right in their own eyes. It was the time of the judges. There were no kings. People were doing whatever they wanted to do. And because of that, God had sent a famine on the land, and Elimelech had taken his family, and they had left Bethlehem, and he took them to the place of Moab. Let me remind you that Moab, Moab is, is a pagan nation. It was a wicked nation. It was known for being with a storied past, to say the least. Well, he takes his family there, and while he's there, Elimelech dies. He leaves Naomi as a widow and a single mother with two sons. Time goes by, and we're told that those two sons take Moabite wives. Ten years goes by, and they don't have children, but those two sons die. 
And now Naomi is left not only having left her husband, lost her husband, but now she's lost her sons, and she has no sons, no grandchildren. She only has these pagan daughters-in-law. She gets word that there is food back in Bethlehem, so she decides she will leave from Moab and go back there, and she urges for these daughters-in-law to stay in Moab, to go back to your people, but they argue and they refuse. With some twisting of her arm, Orpah decides, yes, you're right, it's the sensible thing to do, I will stay in Moab. Ruth declares, you, you remember the story, she will go wherever, where, wherever Naomi goes, that Naomi's people will be her people, that Naomi's God will be her God. And this is a, this is a statement of faith. Well, this is where we are to this point. She, she goes back to, to Bethlehem. Naomi walks into the city after being gone for 10 years, and the women of the town say, this can't be Naomi. She says, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara. For I went away full, but the Lord's brought me back empty. And she was bitter. Ruth looked for work. She looked for work in the field, and she just so happened to come to the field of a man named Boaz. Boaz was a relative, a distant relative, who perhaps could be a kinsman redeemer, and he had favor on her. He was incredibly generous to her, and that's where we've left the story. We don't know what's going to happen. It looks as though there's a budding romance, but chapter 2 ended leaving us on a cliffhanger where it says that uh, she stayed there, she lived with her mother-in-law for the next two or three months till the end of the harvest, and we don't know what's going to happen. And that's where our story ended last night. Well, in chapter 3, we're going to see the story takes a drastic uptick in pace. What's taken two to three months or more to get here now is going to take, take a drastic pace. It's going to pick up drastically. So let me just read, beginning in verse 1 of Ruth chapter 3. And then I want to pray, and I want to just walk you through this passage together tonight. So let me read this, beginning in verse 1, Ruth chapter 3. Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative, with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies, then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And Ruth replied, all that you say I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight... The man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. I'm going to stop right there because I want to just look at those first nine verses together before we finish out the chapter. Let's pray together and ask the Lord to be our teacher tonight. Lord, I pray tonight that you would speak to us. Lord, I, I don't want to rush through a passage just to get through a chapter. 
having missed what you might have to say to us. So, Lord, I pray, God, that you would, Lord, give me the, the ability tonight, Lord, to just, Lord, be used of you. God, I pray tonight, Lord, that you would set my tongue free to be able to articulate the truth of your word. But God, more so than a freedom of speech, Lord, I pray that you would give our hearts an ability to hear. Lord, I pray for every single one in this room, every single person who's listening, Lord, I pray that you might speak to them as well as to this preacher, and that, Lord, you might call us into a deeper trust and faith in you. God, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So in this first section, I want to show you just what happens uh, when we don't wait on the Lord. So I've, I've titled this first section, When Things Weren't Going Fast Enough, Naomi Took Things Into Her Own Hands. And this is what we see when someone refuses to wait on the Lord. In chapter 2, verse 23 ended, after Boaz's initial kindness toward Ruth, two or three months go by, and Boaz still hasn't made his move. Now, Naomi, being the anxious mother-in-law who knows her hope is getting Ruth married off to this kinsman, she is not having any of this waiting. She's getting a little antsy. And so there she, she begins to grow impatient. Back in chapter 1, verse 9, Naomi had prayed that the Lord would grant Ruth rest. But notice in verse 1 of chapter 3, now Naomi says, shouldn't I provide for you rest? She's taken things into her own hands. She thought things would be much further along by now, and now she decides that if things are going to happen, perhaps heaven needs a little help. and Perhaps she can be that helper. In verses 2 through 4, Naomi begins to concoct her own plan. And i got to tell you, as a preacher standing before you, you don't know me. This is a passage that's one of the most difficult passages in all the Old Testament to really be able to understand as well as to convey. It, it has the sense of, there are, it gets pretty racy at times. And, and I, I in no means want to go anywhere that the Bible doesn't go, but nor do I want to not go where it does. And so I, I don't want to make this any more uncomfortable than it is, but at the same time, I think God has preserved this in His Word for us. So look at the plan that Naomi begins to concoct. Verse 2, she tells, she tells Ruth, Boaz will be winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Now, the threshing floor would have been this flat stone area that would have either been on the side of a hill or on top of a hill. And when they would thresh the grain, they would, they would throw the grain up in the air and the wind would blow away the chaff and the grain being heavier would fall. It would fall back onto this flat stone, and that, it's, that would keep it from getting lost and mixed in with the dirt of the ground. And that's why they would do it in this place. They did this at night because it was cooler, number one, and the winds were a little less uh, severe. They were gentle breezes, and this would help in, in, the, in the threshing of the grain. Well, in verse 3, Naomi tells Ruth to go to wash, to perfume herself, and to put on her cloak, her outer jacket. Now, this was more than Naomi telling Ruth that she needed to maybe pay a little more attention to your, your appearance. 
I mean, we get the sense so far, Ruth has been the one who, remember, she carries home this 50 pounds of grain after working in the field all day long. She's a, she's a tough woman. She's done nothing for these past two or three months other than get up early, go into the field, and work. And perhaps in that time, her appearance maybe she'd paid a little less attention to, and she was just working. She was just trying to provide. But that's not what's going on here. This is not Naomi just saying, hey, if, if this thing's going to happen, maybe you should, you know, put on some makeup and whatever. You know, there, there's more to it than that. This is more than seduction, even though this, is, this, this passage is filled with these sexual overtones. I would submit to you that there is a parallel in another place in the Old Testament, in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 20, where David did the same thing when his son died. There we're told that David arose from the earth, he washed and anointed himself and changed his clothes, and he did so to signify that his mourning was over. Now I think maybe what's going on in the mind of Naomi is, listen, Boaz is an honorable man. In, in, a, in a time where everyone's doing what's right in their own eyes, it's a, it's a, it's a notoriously wicked point in their history. He's a man who loves the Lord. And he's honorable, and perhaps she thinks he does not want to pursue you if you're still mourning the loss of your husband. And so she says, Ruth, why don't you wash yourself, anoint yourself, and go and make it absolutely plain that your mourning is over, that you are ready for a husband. She wants Ruth to make it plain. In verse 3, it continues, and she tells Ruth to go down to the threshing floor to do so in secret, and wait for him to eat and drink and then lie down. Now, this is, this is pretty scandalous, isn't it? I mean, this, anything done in secret at night, you're not wanting anyone to... This, this just feels a little bit shady. Like, what's going on here? There's a little bit here of a scheme. I couldn't help, as I was looking at this today and really going back over this, I couldn't help to think about the, the scheming of the serpent when he came into the garden and he, and he lured Eve away. The Bible there says that, that the serpent was more crafty, Genesis 3.1, than any of the other animals of the earth. And here it just seems like there's a, there's a residual, there's, there's a mirroring not of God but of the, the evil one. We're going to see that there's more, more, much more here than meets the eye. She tells her, go down to the threshing floor in secret and wait for him to eat and drink, wait for him to lie down. After a long day of labor, she says, and a good meal and a good wine, in the cool of the dark on the hillside, Boaz would probably be out in about a minute. Anybody have trouble falling asleep after a long day's work? I don't. It doesn't take me much at all. I don't lose sleep over a lot of things. Most of the time when I go to bed, I'm, I'm out like that. My wife sometimes wrestles with, with going to sleep, but I do not. And I think that's the picture here is he's going to be asleep. She tells Ruth, watch where he lies down in verse 4. Go to him, uncover his feet, and lie down. The men slept there. When they worked at the threshing floor, they slept there most of the time to guard their grain from it being stolen, from thieves coming in. 
other men would have been there, so it would have been pretty important that she sees the, and, and goes to the, the right man. So Naomi tells her, watch where he goes. I mean, can you imagine the awkwardness if she went to the wrong man? I mean, that would be, that would be you know, off the chart. But this is a strange command. Uncover his feet and lie down. How in the world are we supposed to understand this? What are we even to think about a woman who bathes, puts on perfume, and then in the dark goes out to the field where Boaz is sleeping and uncovers his legs and lies down? Look at this, and and we can can over-spiritualize this, and we can try to sanitize this, but the Bible doesn't sanitize this. This is, this, this is a, 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 a steamy situation, a steamy scene, if ever there were one. Is this Naomi's attempt to entrap Boaz through seduction? Perhaps she's looking in and she's saying, God, you're not moving fast enough. He's potentially a kinsman redeemer, so I know how I'll fix that. Ruth, you're going to get dolled up, and you're going to go down there, and we're going to seduce him. Is that what's going on here? It doesn't seem to fit the, the character of, of Naomi or Ruth to this point. And there's been no suggestion that this would have been what was going on. Neither does it sound like something that Boaz would fall for either. That, that Boaz was a godly man. And I know he's a man, but, but he seems to have been one that would have, his allegiance to the Lord would have, would have kept him safe in the midst of, of any type of entrapment. Whatever it was, whatever this means, the plan depended on his response. And so Naomi tells Ruth, just do this. Just go in secret, watch where he lay, go, uncover his feet and lie down, and then he will tell you what to do. So that's the plan. Verses 5 through 9, the amazing thing is Ruth goes along with Naomi's strategy. This is an, a, just a, an unbelievable concoction of a strategy, but Ruth says, I'll do it. You go back to her, her, her claim of wherever you go, I'm going to go. Your people are going mean, She's with Naomi. And even here, she's with Naomi in the midst of this. In 5 through 7, everything goes exactly as Naomi had said that it would. In verse 8, Boaz woke up. And most commentators say that he probably woke up because his legs were uncovered and the cool air of the night, it probably woke him up. He was, he was cold. And when he wakes up, it says that he was startled. Now, that would be an understatement. You're outside, you're in the middle, and you look up, and there, there are these two eyes that are looking intently back at you, and you don't know exactly who it is because you know how it is when you first wake up. You're groggy, you don't exactly know what's going on, and, and perhaps that's why he looks at her and says, who are you? There's, there's perfume in the air. And, that, and he asks, who are you? In verse 9, there, this is where Ruth departs, though, from Naomi's plan. Naomi had said, go do this thing, uncover his legs, lay down, and he will tell you what to do. But when he wakes up and he says, who are you? Ruth departs from the plan, and she does not wait for Boaz to tell her. Instead, she blurts out what she believes the plan to be. Look at verse, verse 9. Uh, if I can find it here. Uh, she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. So she doesn't wait for Boaz to, to tell her what to do. Instead, she just blurts out this, this, this very bold and very forward 
um, statement of spread your garment, spread your wings over me. Some translations would, would translate that spread your garment over me. And if that's the accurate translation, then we can't help but this seems even more overtly sexual. There's two clues here in the passage, though, that tell us that's not what's going on. The first clue is Ruth's use of the word servant. Back in chapter 2, verse 13, she called herself a servant. She said, why, do you, why have you been so kind to me when I'm not even one of your servants? And she used the word that was, meant the lowest form of a servant. But that's not the word she uses here. Here, when she says servant, it's the word for handmaid. It's a word that means she's available. And it doesn't mean that she's available for any sort of sexual advance. She's not there for any, any one night. She's saying to him, I'm available for marriage. The second clue that this is not what's going on, this, 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 um, what, what it seems to be, the second clue is her use of the phrase, spread your wings over me. Boaz used similar language back in chapter 2, verse 12, when he said, The Lord repay you under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Could it be that Ruth picked up on, on perhaps this, this, this clue that maybe Boaz was thinking this way too? She, what she believed maybe was a hint from Boaz that maybe he saw her as a potential wife, but he did not want to make any advances before she was over her mourning of her, of her husband. Maybe Boaz struggled with his age difference. That would explain his response in verse 10 when he, when he said, you, you didn't go after young men. But the fact that she uses this phrase, the same phrase that he used, this is a phrase that is particular about, it, it, it is meant to reflect covenant commitment. According to Ezekiel 16.8, spreading one's garment over another was a symbol of, the, of, of being united, being committed in a covenant relationship. It would be similar to an engagement ring today. So this is what's going on here. It's, it's not what it would look like because we read it with these contemporary eyes. This is not, it's not overtly sexual. This is Ruth following this plan and taking matters into her own hands. She's actually proposing here in one sense, to Boaz. She's waited, Naomi has waited, and now she, in one sense, is, is actually just going to go ahead and she's going to pop the question. Cover me, with the, cover me under your wings. Take me into this covenant commitment. This would have been incredibly forward. This would have been audacious for her to do, shocking even. A woman here to propose to a man. A field worker to propose to a field owner. A Moabite to propose to an Israelite. Well, before we look at Boaz's answer to her question, let's look at some things that we can take away, one in particular from Naomi's actions here. See, Naomi looks in and she says, God, I think I know what you're up to, but you're not going fast enough. Let me help you along. Naomi's impatience, though, put everyone around her at risk. And I would tell you the same thing, that when you and I don't wait on the Lord, when we think we can help, help make things happen, we think God doesn't know best and we can just go ahead and take it and do it, 
there are consequences that will come as a result. Naomi put everyone around her at risk. For Ruth, she put her physical safety at, at risk. Remember before when she said, hey, it's good for you to go and follow his women and stay in his field and work because if you go to another field, perhaps you might be attacked or assaulted. But here she seems to have thrown this physical safety out the window and she says, hey, go to where these men are out there threshing, go at night and put yourself into a dangerous situation. She can't wait on the Lord and it, it, it puts Ruth in physical danger. Not only physical danger, but she puts at risk Ruth's reputation in the city and her reputation with Boaz. I mean, what if word got out that this had taken place? We see even later, we'll read it in just a second, Boaz realizes no one can know that you've come in this way because this won't look good. This will damage your reputation. Perhaps they would think, well, she is from Moab. There's a history of that here. She's just doing what these Moabite women do. And by Naomi's impatience, she has put Ruth's reputation, her morality, her witness on the line. Her impatience also put Boaz at risk. Perhaps Boaz would fall to temptation here. I mean, after all, he had a good meal. He was out in the night air. There was an attractive perfumed woman at his feet. Naomi's impatience had put Boaz at risk. Naomi had even put her own self at risk. Maybe this would blow her own chances, perhaps her only chance, at having a kinsman redeemer. Her impatience was a very risky thing to do. But none of that mattered because Naomi wanted what she wanted. And she wasn't willing to wait on the Lord to do it. In, in some ways... This gives us a picture of what our sin nature is like. Our nature in Adam is to say, I want what I want, therefore I will take whatever I want because I want it. That's our nature in Adam. That's what Adam and Eve did in the garden. God had given them everything there in the garden to eat from every tree here except this one. The serpent comes in and convinces them, and the Bible says that when she saw that it was good to make her wise, it looked good, it was good for food. All she just decided she would just take and eat. And this is the nature of, uh, of Adam in us. It's the sin nature without the gospel. I would ask you the question tonight, how often are we just like Naomi? I don't know what in your life you've had to wait on. There have been times in my life where I've had to wait on God in particular areas, where it felt like Lord, I think I know where you're calling me to, but you don't seem to be opening any doors. I've, you've been there in, in other areas than I have. There's a temptation always to run ahead of God and say, let me take it into my own hands. But I would tell you that when we do that, we don't, we're not a reflection of God. In that moment, we are a reflection of Adam. It's our sin nature coming out. It has negative consequences. It puts those around us at risk. This is what we see when Naomi takes things into her own hands. But secondly, the second half of this passage, it gives us the opposite perspective. And this is what I would title this part. When things were moving way too fast, Boaz submitted himself to God. You see the opposite there? 
that Naomi, it was moving way too slow. I'm going to take it in my own hands. Boaz said, no, 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 this is going too fast. Let me submit to you, God. Let's read uh, verses 10 through 17 together uh, in chapter 3 of Ruth. And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning, if, if he will, if he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he's not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So, they, so she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, bring the garment you're wearing and hold it out. So she held it, and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, How did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. Now, in this passage, we see that when things were moving way too fast, Boaz submits himself to God. In verses 10 and 11, Boaz did not chase after just any woman. I would imagine in that day he would have been a very eligible bachelor. He was a wealthy landowner. He probably could have had just about, just about any woman that he wanted when other men were, were running around doing everything they wanted to do, and he was a responsible, wealthy, godly man. But Boaz was not searching for a wife like everybody else. In a day when, when, when they were running after a certain, certain um, sinful trajectory, he was seeking to follow the Lord. In chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, she had demonstrated hesed. You heard Pastor Greg talk about that earlier. This loving kindness, this faithfulness. She had demonstrated this toward Naomi. She had left everything to take refuge under the wings of the Lord. She was the kind of woman to, that, that he was looking for. She was truly a, verse 11, worthy woman. And that worthy woman, the language there is the same language that's, that's used in Proverbs 31. Now, let me just... An, an interesting thing here is the Hebrew Bible was not always laid out or arranged like ours. The books were in a different order. And most of the time we see them there, they, they were arranged in such a way that, that Proverbs came right before the book of Ruth. And so when Proverbs 31 verse 10 says, An excellent wife who can find... It ends the book of Proverbs and it goes straight into Ruth and Ruth becomes this example, this picture in the Hebrew mind of what it looks like to be this Proverbs 31 woman. And this was the type of woman that Boaz was looking for. He knew that she could have pursued younger men, but like Boaz, she also wanted a man of worth. She wanted a man of true character. And we go back to, we remember those, those, those words of him that he was a man of worth. The two of them were a match made in heaven. And Boaz, when, when Ruth asked the question, will you spread your wings over me? 
he puts her fears to rest. I, I can imagine that in that moment, you could almost hear her heart beating in her chest. She was nervous about what he would say. How would he respond? This was a huge step of, of, of faith, yes, but perhaps ill-advised, but she steps out there and she's scared. What if he says no? But he puts her fears to rest and he says, I will do all that you ask. Boaz was willing to redeem her. I couldn't help but to think of Jesus in Matthew 8, verses 2 and 3, when a leper came to Jesus and knelt before him saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus looked at the leper and said, I will be clean. And his leprosy, he was made clean that day. Just as Jesus was willing to cleanse the leper, here Boaz is willing to be her redeemer. In verses 12 and 13, Boaz was a man of real integrity. There was another redeemer. And for, this is a plot twist for us. You know, in every good story, in every good movie, there's always a, a plot twist. There's something that seems to be threatening to derail the whole situation. And here we've been rooting for Ruth and Boaz to come together. But just when we, it looks like it's going to happen, Boaz drops the bombshell. I will do this, but i got to tell you first, there's a kinsman redeemer that's closer than I am. And by law, he has first right. And he says to her, I I'm not going to take a shortcut here. I I'm not going to, to, to have this on my conscience because I have submitted myself to God's will that I would do his will in God's way, in God's time, and therefore I must check first. Verse 14, we see that Boaz was a man of purity. He says to her, lie here at my feet. And it says, so she lay at his feet until morning. Boaz was a good man, but he was still a red-blooded man. But I've got to tell you that there's nothing in the Bible here, there's nothing in the passage that would even hint that anything inappropriate happened. Boaz here, while he is a man of God, he still would have temptations. I think that he probably laid there with a scent of perfume in the air, the woman of his dreams at his feet, under the cover of darkness, fighting temptation all night long. But he fought temptation and he won because he was submitted to the Lord. What, what does the Bible say? Submit yourself to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. We see this pictured here in Boaz. He's submitted to God and it, it gets him through this moment of temptation. Verse 14, we also see that Boaz was a man of protection. In a culture favoring men, he was concerned about how this might look for Ruth. He not only made sure that nothing happened, he also made sure that no, no one could say anything either. He wanted to protect her reputation. And so before the sun comes up, he makes sure that, that she is up and she's gone. In verses 15 through 17, we see that Boaz was a man of provision. In verse 15, it says that he took her shawl and he filled it with six measures of barley. By the way, six measures of barley would have been around 80 pounds. She'd carried around between 30 and 50 pounds earlier. He loads her up with 80 pounds of barley. I can just imagine her look like, are you serious? I, I got to carry this all the way back home now? But he does. He loads her up, he puts it on her shoulders, and he sends her home. 
When she gets back in verse 16, Naomi probably hasn't slept at all. She's probably been waiting at the door, just watching to see when, when Ruth would come back, wondering, did it go well or was this the end of things? Did my impatience ruin the, this plan? She doesn't know. She's not slept. And so in verse 16, she sees Ruth come and she asks the question, who are you, daughter? That's the literal translation. It's not necessarily, how did you fare? It's the same question that, that Boaz asked when, when he comes to, to be startled and he's awakened and he looks and he says, who are you? That's the same question here. And it's not that she doesn't recognize Ruth or can't see her in the dark. She says this because she's wondering, are you coming back as the widow of my, uh, of my son or are you coming back as the wife of Boaz? This is what she wonders here. Verse 17, Ruth told her everything, including why she was carrying this huge sack. I wonder if perhaps Boaz knew that Naomi had put Ruth up to this. And I wonder if his sending Ruth back with this 80 pounds of grain was his way of sending a message to Naomi. I see what you did there. I wonder if he had a wry smile on his face when he said, don't go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. Take this with you. Either way, we, we can't miss the fact that once again, when Naomi said in verse 21 of chapter 1, I went away full, but God has brought me back empty. We cannot miss the fact that once again, God has filled her with more than she deserves. And that's a repeated theme over and over again in this book. That when we go away, it's there that we forsake the Lord and there is an emptiness that comes there. But when we come to Him by faith, that's when we find real fullness, real satisfaction that nothing else can do. What's the takeaway from this? We see when, when, when things were going way too fast, Boaz submitted himself to the Lord. Well, the takeaway is this, the way Boaz loved Ruth teaches us a lot about the way that God loves us. God loves us with a redeeming love and a willing love that transforms people who are nobodies into people of worth because they find their worth in their maker. God loves us with that kind of love. The same love that Boaz loved Ruth with, and he said, I will, I am willing to redeem you. Can we question the fact that God loves us? He sent His Son. If He didn't spare His own Son, will He not also give you all things? He loves us with this willing, redeeming love. God loves us with a love that is so committed to truth that He will not take shortcuts. If God was going to take a shortcut in loving you, I would imagine that His Son would not have gone to the cross. But He was so committed to justice that He could not simply sweep sin under the rug, but instead He looked at your sin and my sin and He said, there must be justice done. My wrath must be poured out against that. Therefore, I will not pour it out on you. I will send my Son and I will willingly pour it out on him. Amen. It was the will of the Lord to crush him, Isaiah says. God loves us with a love that is 
so committed to truth that he will not take shortcuts. If you're ever feeling like, man, I don't know. I don't know if God loves me. Look at the cross. There can be no greater evidence. God loves us with a pure love, an undiluted and undeterred love. It's one that doesn't get sidetracked. It's one that doesn't just give us what we want because we want it. It's not, a, it's not a love that doesn't care if we reflect Christ or not. It's one that will actually discipline us in when we need disciplining. It's one that will come and comfort us when, when we need to be comforted. It's one that comes and says, there will be peace in the valley because I will be with you in the valley. He loves us with this pure, undiluted, and undeterred love. He loves, with, loves us with a protecting love. The imagery of the shepherd Jesus says that He is the good shepherd. He would protect them. He would protect you and I from, from anything that would attack us and assail us. Greater is He who is in us than He that is in the world, right? He is the good shepherd. He loves us with a providing love. He not only gives us sun and rain when we need those things. He gives that to all of His creatures, but He gives to you and I every single day so much that we take for granted. He provides for us in so many ways. He loves us with an incredible love. Friends, I would simply ask you the question tonight, have you received that kind of love? Have you received the love of God in His Son, Jesus Christ? Has there been a time in your life where, where you have seen yourself as a guilty sinner before God? Confessed that sin, agreed with God about that sin, and placed your hope, your only hope, in the finished work of Jesus on your behalf? I pray that you have. If that's you, by faith, you are loved. You are loved by God. If that's not you, if you've never placed your faith in Christ, then tonight that love is available to you. The, the Bible says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. Right? Take my yoke upon you. I'm gentle and lowly. He says, come. Or are you like Naomi? trying to fill the void of your life by taking things into your own hands? Are you constantly looking around trying to, trying to find fulfillment and trying to find love in other places? You will not find it there. There is no love like the love of our God anywhere else. Like Ruth, nothing can separate us from the love of our true and better Boaz. Boaz, while he is not a real shadow, you've heard your pastor talk about that in teaching of you. He's not a true shadow of Jesus to come. He does give us this, this character that is a reflection that, we'll, that, that Jesus would have. And, and just as Ruth couldn't be separated from the love of Boaz, you and I can't be separated from the love of Christ. I mean, go home tonight and just read Romans 8. It's one of the greatest chapters in all of the Bible. And like Naomi, even our impatient meddling cannot thwart the plans of God. See, this is one of the most beautiful things about this, this chapter 3. 
is that even though Naomi got impatient and took things into her own hands, it still produced the result that she was wanting. Now, we will not always get what we want whenever we take things into our own hands because sometimes our wants and God's will don't line up. But here, we learn the lesson that even Naomi's meddling cannot thwart the plans of God. Our God is sovereign. He will not be deterred. There's no devil. There's no man. There's no leader. No one can thwart the plans of our God. He is sovereign. What He declares, what He decrees, will come to pass. In conclusion of this this chapter 3 of of Ruth, verse 18, we're left with another cliffhanger. He just simply tells her, there's this other Redeemer. I've got to go check with Him first. I'll do that tomorrow. And then Naomi in verse 18 says, Wait, my daughter, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. We're left with this cliffhanger of, Will he redeem her? Will Boaz be pushed to the side? We're not told. We're just simply left to sit and wonder what will take place. And that's what we will look at tomorrow night. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you that even through the example of imperfect people, you have accomplished your will. There's nothing that has happened or will happen that will will do away with your love. God, tonight I thank you that your love has been most prominently displayed at Calvary. Lord, tonight I pray that if there's anyone here tonight that does not know you as Savior, does not know you as Lord, that tonight, Lord, that you might visit them with a love that is finally seen to be greater than any other love they could pursue. Oh God, would you bring them to an acknowledgement of their sin? Would you bring them, Lord, to a position of faith where they trust in you, where they cry out to you to save them? And oh God, I pray that you would cause them tonight to have the assurance that their sins are forgiven in Christ, that they have life in his name. Lord, I pray that they would come to you. God, I pray all this so that you might be glorified.